Well, let's read from the Bible. If you've brought your own Bible with you, you can be turning to Luke and chapter 2. Morning. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had see heard and seen, as it had been told. And yet at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Luke and chapter 2, and hopefully you can look at those words as we think about them just for a few minutes. Now, as well as counting down to Christmas, which is on Friday, by the way, let's look back to the first Christmas. And as Guan read, you might have noticed there are three installments here of the Christmas story in Luke's gospel. Luke's going to give us the circumstances, firstly. Secondly, the explanation. And then finally, the response to the birth of Jesus. Let's look at that together. The circumstances the explanation, and finally, the response to the birth of Jesus. Well, let's look at the circumstances, verses 1 to 7. Luke tells us, have a look there in verse 1, that Caesar Augustus was calling all the shots at the time. Caesar had commissioned an imperial census or registration to be taken. That was ordered by decree by the most powerful man 
in the known world. Now, we know from history that Roman propaganda dared to call Rome's emperors. Did you know what they called them? Lord and Savior. That's what they called the emperor, Lord and Savior. And so here the mighty Caesar called a registration that took Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Now, there's an irony that Luke wants us to see. You see, as we focus on Caesar Augustus, Luke wants us to notice that it's actually Almighty God who is sovereign. All the activity that's dominating these verses, look at verse 3, everyone's going to be registered, each to his own time. Verse 4, Joseph goes from Galilee, from Nazareth to Judea, to Bethlehem. And he goes with Mary, and she's expecting a child. Well, there's a lot of activity there, isn't there? And this all might seem to be at Caesar's command, but Roman imperial power is not the whole story. That's what Luke wants us to get. And you'll have also noticed the mention of another king here, twice. Which king was that? Well, it's King David. You see, Luke knows that we know that God promised his servant David back in the Old Testament. He promised him a kingdom and a dynasty that would last forever. That's 2 Samuel 7. And you see, that promise still stood. And then later, the prophet Micah recorded God's intention to bring a ruler out of this town, out of Bethlehem. And so, if you think about it, mention of David and Bethlehem, this has God's fingerprints all over it. Yes, there's a Roman decree, but behind all of that, let's notice Almighty God taking place in history, all these things, in His amazing timing. As global leaders have stepped forward to their microphones this year to announce restrictions, to announce deals or no deals or Brexit or no Brexit, well, the Bible tells us that even when the Caesars, even when the leaders make their sweeping declarations, it's God whose sovereignty extends beyond all of this. It's not a bad reminder as we round out 2020. And in fact, it's more than a reminder. It's, it's probing at our understanding of who is in ultimate charge of each of our lives. That's what's going on here. Who's in charge? Now, one problem of being so familiar with this account is that we might miss the main player. We miss God in these stories. God, the main player. And instead, we, we sort of go from time to time for an emphasis on poverty. That's poor birth of this little boy, or maybe the frantic search for a room fills our thoughts. And yet clearly it's God's hand that's at work in all of the circumstances of this birth. And it's His plan, starting with the birth of that little baby all those years ago in Bethlehem, that has huge implications for you and for me. As for the birth itself, well, we just received news of Milton and Vittoria's birth and uh, there was an Instagram. That's usually how we, we see things this year, this, in this age. But you know, this might be the simplest birth blog that I've ever read. Now, I, I confess I haven't read very many birth blogs. I have been present at four births. Um, I don't remember the first one, which was my own. Um, but what were the circumstances of this birth that takes place? Look at verse 7. And she gave birth, this is Mary, to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths 
laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It's so plain, isn't it? Such a plain record. And and Luke says that Mary had a baby boy. She wrapped him up and she placed him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now that word inn is most likely the word guest room. The scenario could have been, uh, we don't know for sure, but it was likely that Jesus was placed in a manger, perhaps because there was a guest room in Joseph's relative's house in Bethlehem, and maybe that guest room had already been filled, and so they were in the main living area of that room or of that house that they'd gone to, to register in Bethlehem. And so in that main room, where the animals would have spent time inside, they had access to a manger. And perhaps that's why there was this availability, and that's why they placed him there. Now, later you're going to notice that that detail, the baby lying in a manger, will be a sign for the shepherds that they'd found the right baby. And so we see the circumstances of the birth were not just incidental. And Luke wants us to see God at work here. And then he offers a second installment that helps us to interpret those circumstances, to interpret what's just taken place. So here's the explanation from verses 8 to 15. Here's the explanation. Now, again, we might miss some of, of, the, of, of this, as masked as we are by over-familiarity. And I know we're swamped. This is December. Um, so much is going on. All of life stresses. One of my friends in, in ministry confessed to, to recording a Christmas message and having to record it up to seven times because of the tears this year after the year that we've had. Had to stop and retake and retake. I know December is stressful, but just listen again for a moment because this explanation starts dramatically. Look at verse 8. There's the appearance of an angel to a group of shepherds near Bethlehem. And by verse 13, there's a whole multitude of them. And they don't just stand there. They speak. These angels sing. Now, if Luke hasn't got your attention by now, he should have. Previously, the angels in Luke's account had foretold an event. And this time they arrive on the scene to explain an event, to explain what's going on. Have a look at what they say. Fear not. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Can we overlook the the big assumption that this angel makes? What's that assumption? The message is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. A Savior has been born. Well, what's the underlying assumption? Well, the assumption is that things are not okay for all the people. If the angel's bringing such a message, the assumption is that things are not okay. There's going to be the birth of a rescuer, a Savior, coming at last, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. And that, the angels are are, are telling us, is something that will cut into the despair, cut into the waiting and frustration, bringing good news of great joy for everyone. Now, if we're very used to hearing this, we could forget to hear it at a different level. But I want you to bring it away from the school nativity and the props and our enjoyment of a good story being retold by the children. Just bring it away from that for a moment. You see, we could forget to connect the arrival of Christ the Lord with the deep reality of our human experience 
and the world's not okayness. I want you to connect it for a moment in your mind. Christ the Lord and the not okayness of your life and my life. Why don't you come and listen and connect those things today? Perhaps you're coming out from the, the shadows of pain, of COVID, and all the losses you've experienced. But no matter how you're feeling, come today and quietly connect these things with that wonderful news. You know, here in this explanation, here's the ultimate declaration of the arrival of the Savior. It's been my experience, and it's something that, that you probably feel too, but December is emotion rising, and every year it shows me that I need a Savior. And it's not because I'm any weaker or lesser than other people. There's something about this month that always confronts me with life's losses. There are maybe the memories of difficult things over a lifetime, and they somehow all rush back in during this month. And at times during this month, we use our memory muscles more than other times during the year. I expect you felt like that too. And I know that for some of you, 2020 has brought more agony than usual. Isn't human life so fragile? Not even the most skilled doctors or scientists or experts in any field can ultimately solve things. Not even they could heal people when their health has taken the sharpest turn for the worst. And then when you think about the times we live in, you watch your television, you go out on the street, you know, evil seems to triumph a lot of the time, doesn't it? Anger and murder run rampant. Peter, people hurt each other in the vilest of ways. Screaming hatred and abuse on social media. There's the debris of broken relationships all around us. And all that brokenness, all that loss in December, you know what teaches us something? It speaks of our need, not of better emergency services or better luck or a better year to come, but your and my, our need for a Savior. Who can save you? Who can save me? Well, Luke's terrified shepherds heard news that the rescuer had arrived, a Savior, Christ the Lord. And you know what? They heard that this rescuer was more than some expert with all the skills. They heard this Savior was Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. Do you know what? This is good news. It's great joy. And I know I'm a little bit overcome, but sometimes joy does that, doesn't it, when it wells up? Have you heard that message from Luke 2? A Savior has been born to you, who is Christ the Lord, who became a boy, who grew to be a man, who lived, who died, and then defeated death. Well, he's the only Savior that can help you and me as we look over the wreckage of 2020 or the challenges and heartache of a lifetime. Then those familiar words, look at them again. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I love that message. In the past, this was usually said, peace and goodwill to all men. And that seems so general, doesn't it? As if I'd all wished you a, a happy Christmas from this socially distanced spot on the platform. But this is more specific than that. This is about peace for people with whom he is pleased. 
Now, what does that mean? Is, is God pleased with me? Well, it's a sort of technical phrase being used by Luke, the writer here, one that refers to people who have responded to God sending Jesus. So, so quite shockingly, and I think you should be shocked by this, as the birth of Jesus is explained, the angel song confines it, limits it. It's a limited message, not for everybody to go and bask in the Christmas lights, but it's a limited in some way. You see, this is an ununiversal message. God's peace is available. It's wonderfully and mightily available, graciously given, but it'll only be given to those who will respond to the birth of this Savior, Christ the Lord, to those with whom He is pleased, to those who actually hear the news as it's meant and respond. Yet Christmas rings so hollow when people say things like, we're all enjoying peace with God. Jesus is born, and so we all get suddenly and universally to share the good news. We're all fine. That's so hollow. That's not what's been said here. That's not Luke's message. And as Luke and the other biblical writers record and explain Jesus' life and death and resurrection, they know and they understand that this means that Jesus Christ himself is the only one who can put them in a position where God's favor rests on them. That's what he's trying to get at. Otherwise, people stand facing the wrath of God in a world that's already so messed up and so dark. Well, as he wrote about this, about Jesus and his central role in that rescue, Paul, another writer in the New Testament, said this. He said, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's Colossians 1. You and I won't have ultimate peace this Christmas or any other Christmas unless we've come to recognize Jesus Christ as Savior, Christ the Lord. And for those who do, well, there's something to cherish again. Deep joy, like the wise men felt. In spite of the trouble, in spite of the heart-aching losses, there's something lost redefining to be celebrated this week. Christ is Lord. And that brings us to that response very briefly at the end. Verses 16 to 20. Here's the response. You see these shepherds, they're moving, aren't they? Look at that word, with haste, verse 16. Well, it sounds a little bit old-fashioned. They went with haste. That's not really how you and I move around the shops. But basically, it means they're hurrying off. That's more December, isn't it? They hurry not to find all the stuff to get it in for the Christmas, but they hurry off to find Mary and Joseph and the baby. And then they discuss it all, not just the child, but what had been explained to them about this child, the birth of the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And you know what? All who heard it wondered about what the shepherds told them. Verse 17, and they themselves glorified him, praised God for the things. They were overflowing with praise. The shepherds, you see, had to get beyond fear, verse 19, or verse 9. And beyond even their amazement and wonder, verses 16, 17, and 18, and finally to get to verse 20, have a look at it, glorifying and praising God. Now, if you find yourself with the spiritual equivalent of a blank expression to the birth of the Savior, I think that's understandable. But let me ask you to take a different look this year 
and to hurry up and respond in a way that leads your heart and mind once again, or for the first time ever, to glorifying and praising God like these men. What's your response? Seeing the circumstances, God's mighty hand at work, hearing that explanation, Jesus is Savior, Christ the Lord, bringing rescue and peace to those who act on it. What's your response? Well, the carol we're going to listen to and reflect on rightly asks us to be silent. Here's the last verse. Silent night, holy night, wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels let us sing, Alleluia to our King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Well, let's stand as we reflect.